Hello and welcome to Rebounding Faith. I'm Gina Ferrari. I'm Kristen Corona. And I'm Catherine Baer. When walking in faith seems impossible and you can't see the purpose in your pain, we are here to help you find hope in the struggle. Hello, welcome to Rebounding Faith. We are going to be exploring and looking at wrestling with God today. And I think, ladies, I'm really excited for this topic. It's something that I know I have done many times, and I'm curious to get your uh, input and take on this topic. And so before we start, though, I thought it would be super fun to dive into a few facts about wrestling, because I, I don't know any wrestlers. The actual sport of wrestling. Yes. Okay. Yes. The actual sport of wrestling. Mm -hmm. And I would love to know if you guys have some color commentary about this, if you will, (laughs) about this sport. But let me just kick it off. So wrestling, I learned, is considered the oldest sport on earth. So they actually have cave drawings that date back to 3000 BC that depict the sport and, and the actual moves uh, of wrestling on these cave paintings uh, that was one of the original sports in the ancient Olympic Games in Greece, which date back to 776 BC. So really early. Uh, The sport of wrestling is known. We're going to actually touch on this, but it builds determination, diligence, and perseverance. Mm -hmm. Wrestlers are known for their work ethic, which I thought was fascinating. And, okay, this is just a fun one. But wrestling is known as oil wrestling in Turkey, and it is the national game. The wrestlers smear oil all over their body and play the game of wrestling. And this game of wrestling in the past could go on for days and days. But since 1975, it was restricted to only about 40 minutes. So I thought that because was Because the like... referees didn't want to go days and days watching <laughs> days and days. wrestle. Yes, and it would be super 40 slippery. minutes. Yes, wrestling. I love that you said that um, the wrestlers smear, smear oil <laughs> all over their body and then they play the game right. of wrestling. <laughs> I think that games typically are some Anonymous with fun. Yes. Wrestling yes. for days, especially with oil on my body, does not, not sound fun. fun. That's no. not the word I would use to 100%. describe that. Yes. <laughs> yes. I know. So uh, so the purpose of wrestling is uh, the, obje- the objective of wrestling. And this is just for all of you that aren't familiar with wrestling. And I was one of those. So I really wanted to educate myself in preparation for this. So the objective of wrestling is to pin your opponent, but it usually involves a takedown to accomplish this goal. And so it's actually been proven statistically that the wrestler who executes the first takedown in a match will really, uh, I think they've been, it's been proven to show that they will win the match 85 to 90% of the time. The first person who takes down the other, their opponent. Yep. Which I thought was really interesting. And strength is a vital component of wrestling. And so once Uh, They fall to the mat. They will grapple for control and to have an advantageous position over the other person. So that's the goal. And just a fun fact, wrestling matches last seven minutes in length. So not days and days. Not days and days. Not even 40 minutes. (laughs) (laughs) Just seven. seven. Just seven minutes. Yeah. 
So anyway, wanted to kind of start there to kick us off with wrestling. And so kind of moving into, I love quotes. You guys know that I love, love, love quotes. I'm with you in that. Yes. And I found this quote by A.W. Tozer that says, The Lord cannot fully bless a man until he has first conquered him, which I think is so relevant to this topic. So we're going to be looking at Genesis 32, 22 to 32. And the topic is Jacob wrestles with God. So I'm going to just read through this really quick, um, and then we can jump right into uh, to talking about it. So it says, That night Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him. Till daybreak. When the man saw he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched, and he as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, Let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, What is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel. And he was limping because of his hip. So I love this. It's so much packed into this. Uh, and, and you ladies know as I was preparing for this um, topic today that it was a real struggle. I was wrestling with the message, <laughs> right? Like just to be able to keep it simple and uh, to the point. And so I want to look at just a few topics related to this. And the first one was who was Jacob pre-wrestle struggle before that night? Who was he? And I just want to touch on um, a few things that I found, and I would love to get, you know, your, your opinion on this and your thoughts. But the definition of Jacob's name is one who follows, grabber of heel. He was flawed, a struggler, and a deceiver. He was a twin brother, So he was born second, although he was wrestling with his brother in the womb to be born first, trying to grab Esau's heel. He was a quiet man. He would stay among the tents, unlike his brother Esau, who became a skillful hunter and a man of the open country. He was his mother's favorite, which I thought was interesting. He was uh, materialistic. He tended to accumulate wealth for its own sake. And he was very concerned with blessings. We said a couple times by whatever means necessary, a birthright blessing, wrestling with God for a blessing. He was very concerned with that. He was a warrior uh, and that's warrior with an O, not a warrior with an A, warrior and afraid. Uh, So he actually deceived a few people in his life and in his family out of things. Uh, Most notably his brother Esau from the birthright blessing. Uh, So we know that, and that's going to come up again when we talk about um, the purpose of this struggle with God. 
and he was somewhat distant from God. So in bo- both verses 31:42 and 32:9 in Genesis, he refers to God as quote the God of my father Abraham and my father Isaac. But interesting to note that the God of Jacob is missing there. So also in 27:20 he states quote the Lord your God gave me success, not my God. And lastly, he was self-reliant. So bottom line, in many ways, when he was facing conflict, Jacob relied on his own methods and his own strategies for survival. And so I relate to this so much because when I am in hot water or when I am worried, stressed, whatever it is, it's almost like my number one go-to is to uh, go in my head and try to figure out what's the strategy going to be. Uh, How am I going to prevent harm or solve this problem? And a lot of times I'll even uh, make, you know, I've mentioned this before, but recommendations to God, right? Like it's just so audacious of me to do that. Um, But that, that is, that's just full transparency and uh, disclosure that that's something that I tend to do. What about you guys? Do you relate to any of those with Jacob? When I was reading through this, some immediate thoughts that came to mind was that, man, if, if Jacob can come out of this and be blessed, really anybody <laughs> can. <Right. laughs> um, yes. You know, it, you never want to throw stones, but it, he wasn't really painted as this um, Christian like we would think today, mm-hmm. this follower of God. He obviously was aware of God, but almost seemed like, yeah, yeah, I know what you're all about, but I'm pretty special too. Like, I got this is how I really thought of him pre-Russell. Yes. Right? Like, I'm going to acknowledge you, but a lot of what I do in my life is for me to serve me. And as long as I got this, like, I don't really think I need you, although I know you're there. And so it was really relatable because I think that when you look at the characteristics of Jacob prior it's not great to say it, but I can I, I can relate to a lot of those. And, you know, like I started with saying, I, I, I think it gives you hope that really anyone can be blessed. And obviously we'll get to what comes next. But those were some of the things I was thinking as we were talking about this. So good. And, you know, it's, it's also interesting to note that someone like that is as flawed as Jacob was that it meant enough to God to still pursue him. Mm-hmm. I love that. What about you, Gina? Yeah, I was just, you know, listening to you guys and, and to this story and just thinking about when he said the God of my father, you know, or a, it, not a personal God to him. And obviously up to this point, it's working for him, right? He's his mom's favorite kid. So he's a little bit of a mama's boy there mm-hmm. and um, used to kind of getting his way however he had to go, whatever he had to do to get his way. So he was pretty manipulative and had to be pretty smart. You know what I mean? And crafty. Even, yeah. Crafty. And even in yeah. the womb, like he was wrestling to be like, you know, he came out with his hand around his brother's heel. I mean, he wasn't, he wanted first place even in the womb, you know, because he knew, I mean, as growing up that the firstborn always receives, you know, the the blessing and the, uh, the inher- inheritance. And so um, I don't know. I think that from his very DNA from the very beginning, 
he was sort of a guy who was just ready to do what it took to get what he wanted mm-hmm. uh, and by whatever means. And, and, um, and I think he also watched his father and, and thought, yeah, that's, that's for you and that's good for you. But mm-hmm. I got this thing, like you were saying, Kristen. I mean, I, I can handle this. I can get my way. And, and, and it, it was, was working. And it was in his family. Right. Absolutely. Um, it's interesting to note that his wife, Rachel, that he married, was also very dece- deceptive, lying to her father when he came there, right? Right. To, you guys want to read further in, um, actually, uh, just prior to this story? Yeah. Um, her father comes to visit and is seeking, um, searching for some stolen possessions that she took from his home right. and just lied to him, you know, lied to him that she uh, couldn't move or something. You know, she was uh, her time of the month or something. Yes, I don't remember what it was, yeah. but mm-hmm. she but, couldn't and move. He was, yeah. Her father was a deceiver as well. Right. Oh, absolutely. I mean, so the king is, of the deceivers. Exactly. Yes. So it, this was yes. uh, definitely a thread that right. ran through absolutely. Um, that family. But yeah, it, you know, he's he's a real guy and mm-hmm. he that is relatable. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's been plenty of times when I just want to do it my own way and, and you know, looking at... And I know better. Yeah. I know best. And I can, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, yeah. and so I think he he is not a man of character pre wrestle, um, and doing what's working for him, but it's not ultimately who he wants to be or where he needs to be. You know. Yeah, I think absolutely, and he, you know, he's also so accustomed to this being his number one go to. I think. Um, knowing that he is a warrior, he was very afraid. I think these habits may have developed from a place of not trusting others, not trusting God, and to really believe, as you said, like, I know what's best. I can get out in front of this. I can control, in quotes, Mm -hmm. I can control this situation. Uh, And I think that that plays into uh, where he is and where we find himself just on the cusp of this wrestling match. But before we get into that. And also, the, yeah. just thinking about yeah. that, he was a warrior and he was fearful. And that's insecurity for sure. But yes. I think that I I see him as not coming across that way, that he may have obviously been those things because he's described that way. And yet I think being the manipulator and um, the favorite, I, I think he's pretty able, in my eyes, to hide those insecurities with his behaviors. Mm, you know what I mean? And I think we, a lot of times, get through life that way. And well, you know it's something it, yeah. that's called imposter syndrome, too, oh, yes. right? Where you have a lot of insecurities, but because you your feelings around narcissism, arrogance, whatever it may be, kind of supersede those feelings of insecurity. So you overcompensate for those insecurities by thinking that you have it all together and by portraying this ambiance that that you're stronger than maybe you really are. Mm -hmm. And it's a self-fulfilling prophecy because then other people treat you that way also, which then just fuels 
that feeling, even though deep down there's insecurities, which obviously he was struggling with. Right. Mm. That's really good. Yeah. And, I, and, you know, it's interesting, Gina, you mentioned that we try to hide and you mentioned, uh, Kristen, that you try to put forth a different persona, right? Mm-hmm. Different of your, of your capabilities. And so... I think when we get into the wrestling match, we're going to look at daylight. And if you notice, daylight is mentioned twice in that verse. There's something to that. Mm -hmm. And I believe that to be that in the darkness, we wrestle ourselves with this part of ourself, whether we lie to ourselves or to others about our capabilities or whatever it may be, we relegate a certain portion of ourselves to this darkness, right? Mm-hmm. So Jacob is wrestling through the night until daybreak. And there's something really crucial to that. I think it's it cannot continue in the light, these behaviors. And so I think that there is something, if you really look closely at that, it's mentioned twice. And there was something about... Uh, essentially when the beginning of dawn, the rise of the dawn is when that the man said, you know, let me go hmm. and touched his hip. So it's kind of like, okay, we'll, we'll continue with this through the night, you know, if we need to. But once we get to that place of it's time to move on and it's time to face whatever this is and bring it out into the light, I think that's part of what uh, his character and why it did change so much uh, moving forward. But so moving into, speaking of that, It's a good segue into who does Jacob become post-wrestle and struggle. Uh, So this was this wrestling match definitely had um, a purpose. And so the the first thing, obviously, he's injured. He's walking with a limp following this this wrestling match. But I've also you'll see in the the scriptures uh, that follow this that he is God reliant. So he recognizes God and strives to please God first, whereas before old Jacob was, I'm going to figure out a way and then go to, you know, go to the God of my father and my grandfather, basically, mm-hmm. if it doesn't work out. So he is now striving to please God first. The end result of the wrestling match really is a changed trajectory of, for this relationship. So it started on uh, the path of a much, it started him on the path of a much closer relationship with God. The other thing I noticed is he's less materialistic. So uh, in a verse farther in, in Genesis, you'll see that he begins to sacrifice really valuable material items. So he's pouring out really valuable oil of like the highest uh, grade purity oil uh, or oil purity to show the highest respect to God where he built an altar at Bethel uh, after God spoke to him. So God is more important to him at that point in his life than valuable material things. So that absolutely, he changed with that. Uh, And then he also recognizes, right? So God as his God, and he builds altars dedicated to his God. After making it safely to Canaan, he purchases a plot of land and sets up an altar named El Elohe, Israel, or the God of Israel. Uh, And he also recognizes God's faithfulness. So God as being with him wherever he has gone and answered him in the day of his distress. Um, And then God's generosity. So in verse 48, 11, he cites the blessings that God provided and not of our doing. So really changed man. What do you guys think? 
Yeah, I think he came out a different man than he went into that fight with. And I think that all night long wrestling with the angel of God and um, being that determined to win, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, he wasn't going to give up. And then even when, you know, the angel says, you know, let me go. And he says, no, I'm not like, not until you bless me. I'm getting (laughs) something out of this all night fight, you know, which I just think crazy to even imagine the, you know, I think it just takes a lot of guts to kind of like get in there and fight, wrestle all night, realizing really who you're, who you're fighting with and their power and not giving up. He was determined, you know, and then being, having his hip, you know, dislocated or, or touched as they say, and that he walked with a, a limp, he was changed physically he was changed emotionally and, and mentally and spiritually from this battle. And I think that it's in those toughest fights where we hurt the most that we come out a different person. Um, and I think that's very evident, um, you know, with him. He, he is changed through the battle. As we were preparing for this session um, on this topic, we had all read... Um, the article Wrestling with God, Acquiring yeah. a Limp, and that was from Christianity Today. Jeremy Berg had mm-hmm, written it. Mm-hmm. And one of the – I'll just quote uh, um, from that article because I think it just it just really hit me relative to Jacob and how he was feeling. But it says, the, the strange truth is God can't use you unless you're broken. Mm. Yes, it is often true that hurt people hurt other people, but it's equally true that graced people grace other people and healed people heal other people. I love that. And Stood out I, to I, me too, Kristen. Yeah, that, that's the difference, right? He's been graced. Yes. And so he feels this immense emotion and, and willingness and desire to be able to now grace other people and heal other people the way he's been healed. And to your point, that limp was literal. Mm-hmm. It also was very figurative as well related to how he was feeling about that that wrestling match with God yeah. and how it impacted him. Yeah. And even, you know, him being a materialistic guy from the beginning, and that was really important to him, material things, Um it also just shows a, a shift that the very thing that meant the most to him, he is willing to pour back out, uh, which shows a change. Instead of wanting it for himself, everything about me and for me, it became about God and, and giving his very best to God. And in that, God blessed him even more. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really a changed character, mm-hmm. you know, um, at his core. And so... You know, it's interesting also to look at why this wrestling match occurred Mm -hmm. to begin with. And, you know, to set up the background to this wrestling match uh, so everybody understands Esau, his twin brother, who has had his birthright stolen from Jacob, which he sold. But, you know, Jacob took him up on it and absolutely took it and got the blessing So Esau really has an axe to grind here. He's headed his way with 400 armed men. Esau has weapons, basically. Jacob has livestock. That's it. 
400 goats and you know that's it and he knows he knows he is dead he's in so much trouble so verse 32 7 states he is in great fear and distress and you can see this in his actions he's already plotting let me split up my family into two camps and send one out ahead. So in case something happens to them, I still have the other one and the other one will survive and, you know, send couriers out ahead and with a message, you know, that I have all of this to give you to try to appease him. So, so many things you can just see he's just scrambling. So I thought was interesting is he's strategizing and then he prays, right? This is the pre-Jacob. So God steps in in his moment of greatest need. And you could argue even the pinnacle moment of the perfect combination of fear and distress and need. Yeah. And God shows up. And I kind of just want to stop right there because I think there is so much to that and God's timing of whatever trial that we're facing. And, you know, in life, we know that we have to go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Like we know this. So, uh, to understand that perfect combination of fear and distress and crying out to God in need and God shows up. I'll add another word to that too. Like you just feel tired, tired, so tired. And, I think back to these really pivotal moments in my life where I was in a really similar situation. And and a lot of times for me, it shows up um, frustrated and really tired, feeling like I've done everything I can do and I can't figure this out. Yes. Yeah. And usually that's a sign to me now as I'm older, I'm <laughs> starting to put these things together. I wish I would have thought about it when I was younger yes. a little bit more and not been so stubborn. But for me, like that's an immediate sign that I need to lean on God. For and it's sure. usually when I really feel like I have tried everything and I can't figure this out. So is God like a last resort Unfortunately, sometimes, sometimes. yeah, but it's not a conscious decision when I'm in it trying to figure it out. It's not very rarely am I making a conscious decision. Oh, no, I'm going to choose my way over God's way. (laughs) Right. Like, that's not what's happening. It's usually usually very subconscious. And it's just it's a reaction, right? Like something's broken. I try and fix it. Something's broken. I try and Mm -hmm. fix it. And you're kind of in this cycle until you feel like, okay, there's nothing else I can do. Why is this happening? Mm -hmm. And then that frustration, to your point, that fear, that distress, um, that feeling like you're just really tired and alone is then usually when I'm at my lowest point, I'm like, oh, you know what? I might try something different now. Yeah. 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 Funny though, too, it's like at night when this happens to him at night, when we have worked all day long at trying to figure something out, we're just tired. Yes. When we're more worn down, when our defenses are a little lower and we're a little bit more open to um, the presence of God stepping in on our behalf, obviously. Um, I think we all do that. It's just in that it isn't intentional. It isn't. It's human nature. It's what we do. It's try to figure things out and how to get through something and how to make sense of something. And it's when we are exhausted, we have tried everything we know to do and, and come up short that we finally are willing to say, oh, wait, 
why didn't I start this mm-hmm. with prayer and giving it to God from the beginning? And I think we would have struggled so much less. We have these constant battles that don't even have to be battles, you know, as far as going through things because God has a plan. And if we lean into it from the beginning, which I just rarely do, but when when I do, everything goes so much smoother because that's how God works. Right. You know, he has a plan on how to make it happen. And if we lean into it, then we watch it unfold with just, wow, that's amazing. As human beings and the world that we live in, we end up just, you know, we've been programmed forever, you know, to just do it, get it done, figure it out, work harder, work smarter, Mm -hmm. work, work, you know, trying to be empowered and and doing these things. And and then it it really is when it seems like at night when we're just... uh, that God is able to step in. Yeah, it's kind of like the... um the saying, well, all you can do is pray. Yeah. Like, if you think about how ridiculous that statement is, that means you've tried everything, right? And then, oh, well, okay. Now all I can do is the most powerful thing left to do. Yeah, (laughs) right. I should have started with that. Well, think about how different this story could have been if Jacob had 400 armed men also, Mm -hmm. which is very interesting that he didn't Uh because he definitely had money and power. And you would think based on his life, all of the means possible to be able to fight back. Yes. But for whatever reason, he didn't. Yes. And so I also think that's very interesting is that. Because he was around the camp cooking, Kristen. (laughs) (laughs) He wasn't out there with his brother in the field. It's (laughs) just very interesting, you know, and it's usually when you're in that that place of feeling like you've really hit rock bottom, it doesn't make sense that you're in that place. Like the odds should have been more in your favor, so Mm. we think. Or statistically, you shouldn't be where you are. Yes. But why is this happening to me? Yeah, but it's yes. the same. Like, why did Jacob only have livestock? Yes, that's true. Right. Yeah. But two, he was, I don't think he was anticipating it turning out the way it did when he took the, you know, birthright from his brother. Of course He knew not. his brother's coming home starving, right? He's in the kitchen cooking, making something that smells delicious, and his brother's going to come in at, in a vulnerable place he knew what he was doing and setting it up. I just don't think he saw what was going to happen afterwards and the wrath right. that was going to come from his brother when he realized what his, you know, what Jacob had done. And if you look at their characters, I mean, Esau, the name, his name means action or impulse, right? He's very, he is a very impulsive uh, individual. And so if you look at that, he was obviously a skilled hunter. It mm-hmm. tells us that. He's used to weapons. He knows his way around that. He's used to action. It's more in his character, I think, to have these armed individuals Mm -hmm. with him, this cavalry, right? Right. Jacob, on the other hand, doesn't operate like that. He's sneaky. He's behind the scenes. He's manipulating things to go his way. And so it's more of his character to do what he did, Mm -hmm. to try to appease his brother, manipulate the situation, Mm -hmm. send forth all these gifts. And I love this part. It just cracks me up. It's just such a human, so human. But he is stating like, oh, man, like I I don't even, and of course I'm paraphrasing here, but basically like the women and children aren't even safe. You know, it's such a dangerous situation. The women and children aren't even safe. So let me go ahead and send them first. 
and I'm going to hang out behind. You know, this is just the way he rolls. It's just the way he thinks. And, and the very last of them are his favorites, Rachel and Joseph. They were, the, they were the caboose on the train, which I, when I read that closely and I realized that, I thought that was so fascinating. But let me see the wife that I don't love as much, <laughs> Leah, all her kids. Let's send them up front. Yep. And then, you know, that's the way Jacob rolls. That's the way he operates. And so and I think you, God his just, brother, yeah. brother, though. Yeah. Come on. You know, I was just, <laughs> stop it with, I, I, you know, I just think of Esau, like coming home hungry. Okay. And he is willing to give up his birthright over a bowl of soup. I mean, I don't think he even really believed that. He probably thought, no, that's not going to really happen. He's saying this, but he's not. He's, you know, I mean, what even was going on with that, you know, with these two brothers? It must have been a really good soup. Yeah, He must have been a heck of a cook. A heck of a cook, heck of a cook <laughs> yeah. right? Right. Hanging around yeah. the tent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he wasn't out hunting, that's for sure. Oh, my gosh. But man, when Esau realizes, you oh, know, he's what's livid. happened and he's, yes. he's mad and he's coming at him, yeah. you know, but... And, you know, it's interesting, um, just, man, this is so many family dynamics in this when you dissect it. But if you also look at the fact that uh, Rebecca, his mom, sends Jacob off to uh, marry essentially one of his cousins, right? Her brother's daughters to stay within the faith and the Hebrew, you know, Esau realizes that and just takes off, you know, leaves and starts marrying these Canaanite women that bring a ton of grief to the family, right? Just, you know, the black sheep, for lack of a better word. So I think that that was Esau. Mm-hmm. So I, I think Jacob, in his mind, was probably playing out every possible scenario that could occur with such an impulsive individual that he knew, like, I'm dead. If I don't figure this out, I'm dead and my family's dead. At least that's why he's separating them into two camps. Mm -hmm. You know, hopefully 50% of them will make it. And behind me, Rachel and Joseph, you know, so it's just so, so interesting. So to kind of look at that. And then if we were to look at now God steps into the picture Mm -hmm. and he is aiming to transform Jacob's life through this encounter. So in verse 24, it states Jacob was completely alone in his camp. So he has sent, at this point, his 11 children over the fort of the Jabbok. He has sent his two wives. He has sent all of his goats and livestock, everything mm-hmm. over, you know, he's got nothing. He's just him. And some scholars speculate it was for purposes to pray because he was going to be alone. He was going to really pray. But... It was when Jacob was intentionally alone that he could really focus on God, which was probably one of God's purposes in this trial, uh, if you really think about it. So if you stop and think about when we're really alone in the trials and the difficulty, how often does God meet us in those lonely, dark moments and allows us to get to that place of being intentionally alone because he knows that our focus will be on him. It won't be drowned by, you know, drowned out by noise and distractions. So do you guys relate? Does this resonate with, with you, Kristen? 
Yeah, I think, I mean, he's he's physically alone, right? But he's also emotionally, mentally, spiritually very alone in that moment too, which I think is a really important thing to note. And I do feel like when you reach that that breaking point or rock bottom and, and you do feel like you're truly alone, it's almost as if, God really feels like okay now we can now we can actually get now down we to can work. Talk. Yeah, yeah, now we can talk yep. because but prior you weren't really going to listen. Yes. And you weren't really going to have this relationship that's really two-sided mm-hmm. in nature. Um and, and so unfortunately I think and and I can speak for myself sometimes it has to go there in order for me to really be in a in a position where I'm listening. Absolutely. And retaining. Mm-hmm. And willing to actually and do learning. something different with my actions. Yes. hundred percent. Yeah. How about you, Gina? No, I, I, I completely agree with that. It's in those times when I am most vulnerable, most feeling alone. I'm also most open. And um, when God shows up, I just clinging to him, you mm-hmm. know, in those moments of just desperation, really. Absolutely. And that's where the change comes. And, you know, for me, I can speak, it's it's also one of gratitude. Yeah. Because by the time I'm at this point, to be perfectly honest, I have cried out to him. But to your point, Kristen, it's something where maybe it's 50%, mm-hmm. you know, like a 50% effort. And God knows, like, he is going to wait until I'm ready to receive all of him. And sometimes that means I have to be at the end of the road. Yeah. End of the road, ready to do whatever is needed to go on a different direction, whatever he is calling me to do. And so I have immense gratitude. It's it's like a painful gratitude. I am really grateful that God has is here now because that means either there's going to be some form of change if not in the circumstance then in myself. In me. And, and usually both. Huge. And usually mm-hmm. both. Yeah. 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 And so thank you, God. Looking at this wrestling match and looking at post, you know, he, the angel touches his hip. He's got a permanent limp, right? Uh, the angel says, let me go. Jacob says, not until you bless me. So now we're moving into, okay, what was the gift in the trial and the wrestling match? So, um, you know, who is Jacob after and, and what happens to Jacob afterwards. So the way I interpreted it was the blessing for Jacob was a deeper relationship and a deeper trust in God that Jacob would not be his number one go-to. He wouldn't go to himself first. It would go to God first. So despite Jacob's flawed characters, we all are flawed. The result was now God was the God of Jacob before it was just Abraham and Isaac. So now Jacob is added into that list, which I love. And uh, he has now become God to Jacob. And then also, you know, before it was a very immature relationship with God. So he was asking God to save him from his brother Esau and reminding him of his promises. He was panicking and developing the strategy. So you see this sort of progress now through Jacob's life as he is becoming more and more mature and making better decisions. And of course, the big thing that comes out of this is he is renamed Israel. And that is so, so important because he has a new identity 
and he has restoration. So this is so cool, you guys. I just realized this when I was putting this together. But the blessing that he took that wasn't his, the birthright from his brother Esau, in verse Genesis 27, 32, his father Isaac asked him, who are you? When he's deceiving his father. And he goes on to answer, I am your firstborn son, Esau. So then if you flip that verse address around and now before it was 2732, now you flip it around and you go to 3227, it says, the man says, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. So this time it's just such a cool thing that he's just flip it around and now Jacob says Jacob. And so it was like given that opportunity like God did with Jesus did with Peter when he denied him three times and he came back and gave him three times. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Now he's coming back to Jacob and saying, who are you giving him the chance to now say Jacob? So this points to the stolen blessing. Uh, it is something that he now can get something that he's truly entitled to rather than taking something that wasn't his and the timing, you cannot let that go. This is happening just before he's ready to confront 400 armed men. So that's huge. And if he doesn't get that, he's not going to be able to face his brother. So the name change is so interesting. And so as you look at this and reading the whole verse of 27 to 29, it says, the man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, still insisting, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So it's so interesting because as we know, names in the Bible have a bigger significance than they do now. Uh, when we give someone a nickname now, it's for fun or whatever. But back then when someone changed a name in the Bible, it was a massive deal. It was, it essentially determined their entire identity moving forward. So when his name is mentioned, this is so cool. I, I came across this and I just want to mention this, that when his name is mentioned as Jacob from now on in the Bible, this is an indication that he's returning to his old self which I thought was so insightful. And when his name is mentioned as Israel from now on, this is an indication that his mind is set on God. So that is the transformation. Old Jacob was one who fought, who would follow. He was a follower. He was flawed. He was a struggler, deceiver, grabber of heels. So he would sneak up. Another interpretation was sneak up behind you, circumvents, right? All of those things. Whereas Israel, that name indicates straight, one who wrestles with God, the one who struggles with God and overcomes. Mm -hmm. so I, love, I that. love that. So just such a beautiful thing. So bottom line, purpose in our trials, guys, like just, you know, I know we beat that drum every week, but it's something where we're just looking at it today from a little bit different of an angle. And I think, you know, some points made today are so crucial that we really do want to not be afraid of the wrestling match. So on that note, we will close, but thank you all for joining us at home. We pray that you have a rebounding week and don't be afraid of the wrestling match. And we will talk to you guys next week. Take care. Thank you for joining us. Come and join us next week and be sure to like and subscribe to Rebounding Faith.